If you've got a Bible and you're staying in here, we're going to be in the book of James. Um, you're going to be hearing that for the next uh, 10, 11 weeks or so that we're going to be in the book of James. Um, we saw last week that James is a book that can really be summarized in this way. Faith that works. He desires that we would live whole, W-H-O-L-E, whole lives where our actions, our beliefs, and our words are all one. That there's integrity to us. If you didn't get a chance to listen to last week's sermon, you can do so either by going on Facebook and going to our Facebook Live from last week, or you can go to our app, um, our church app, and you can listen to recent sermons there as well. Um, so if you didn't get a chance to listen to last week's overview of James, it might be beneficial to go back and do so. Also, if you didn't get a chance to journal this week and look uh, in looking forward to this sermon, um, I'd encourage you to do that. Today's sermon is going to be, it's going to feel like it's it's a sprint right through and there's just so much material here in this passage that we're going to read today that I'm going to not be able to talk about all of it. It's just it's just the way it is. Um, so if you uh, would like to, you need to go and dig into uh, this passage after this sermon because there's going to be so much more there um, to dig in and dig into and understand. But we're going to shoot for uh, understanding this passage and seeing how it applies to our lives. And I think this is an important passage, one of the most important passages in James because... It talks about one of the biggest hindrances to living the Christian life, which is trials, which are trials. James calls us to live this whole life of integrity, but trials come into our life in lots of different forms and fashions. And as we mentioned last week, we see those trials as difficulties in our life that actually hinder our faith. That's how we see trials often. But James is going to give us a different perspective on trials this morning. He's going to help us to see trials, not the way the world sees trials, but the way that a Christian should see trials and respond to them. Trials are an inevitable part of life, this side of the fall, and God actually uses these trials to grow us and to mature us. And James is going to help us understand that and see how that applies. So we're going to look through this passage, we're going to read it, and then we're going to look at several truths that James gives us, kind of like little tools to keep in our, in our utility belt for when we do face trials, we can pull out these truths from God's word and think, this is what this trial is about. So let me read this for us. We're going to be in the book of James chapter 1. We're going to read verses 2 through 18. 2 through 18. It says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun arises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits." 
Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when, it has, when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my brothers. Let every, uh, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation, of his creatures. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this word. God, we want to pray that you would use it to change our hearts this morning. God, give us eyes to see our, our world and our experiences through your word. Help us to see the trials that we face in a way that you would have us see them and react appropriately. God, we pray that you would change us this morning and make us look more like Jesus after this. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the first truth I want you to gather from this passage is this. Number one, trials result in perseverance and maturity. Trials result in perseverance and maturity. As I said, we naturally see trials as a negative part of life, and no one enjoys feeling pain. No one enjoys that. No one looks forward to being uncomfortable. We have a natural aversion to feeling uncomfortable. We have a natural aversion to trials. Trials, as I mentioned, we often see those as hindrances to our faith. We see those as things that are holding us back from being better Christians. But, and we might think, if I didn't have this trial, I'd be a better dad, I'd be a better worker, I'd be a better uh, Christian. But James is going to call us in this passage to do something that's very unnatural. He's going to ask us to count it joy when we face trials instead of losing joy, which makes no sense to us as it falls on our ears, right? I mean, think about it. Think of the trial in your life. Maybe there's one, maybe there's many. Think of it right now in your mind. Just, just visualize it, that trial. Be happy about it. Have joy. Like be pumped that that's happening, right? That's kind of unreasonable for James to ask. It's unreasonable as we hear that fall on our ears. Feel joy. It's impossibly honest. It's impossible if we're honest. Because I don't think that's what James is actually asking us to do. So let's break down what James is calling us to do here and see that it is actually reasonable what James is calling us to do. So he says, count it joy when you face trials. So what's a trial? I think for these Christians, the two big trials that they would have been facing would have been persecution for their faith and poverty um, because of their situation in life. But James is intentionally vague right here and uses a, a generic word for trials, and he doesn't get much more specific than that. So I think James, this, this word trials can apply to any difficulty that we see coming into our lives, particularly those that are coming into our life because of our faith in Christ. Some trials might be uh, that you're being mocked for your faith. A trial might be struggling to put food on the table a sickness or an illness that comes into your life, a diagnosis of cancer and a prognosis of only a few months to live, the loss of a loved one, the difficulty of estranged relationships in your family, marital difficulties, difficulty conceiving, difficulty raising children, the storms of life, both metaphorical and literal, 
the disappointments and the heartaches of life, and so much more. I think those are the trials James has in mind. And James is not saying that we should be happy about any of those things in our life. We should not be happy about those things. James isn't saying that we should enjoy suffering, that we should like it. We shouldn't be excited when we hear about those things in our lives or for other people. Like we should never hear of a car accident and think, yes, that's great. I'm glad that it happened. That's not what James is calling us to do, right? He's not asking us to do something unreasonable like that. What he is doing is saying, when you face a trial, because you're going to, you need to pause and consider. He uses that word consider, which means to ponder, to think about, to think through thoroughly. Consider. This means to think in an intentional way, to choose to have joy in that moment, to choose to consider in that moment and realize God may be doing something in that moment. So let's consider what God is doing. This passage says that testing produces steadfastness. That's what he says in verse three. Testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And when you start to think about that, that steadfastness, that just means staying power. It means the ability to keep on keeping on, as Joe Dirt would say, that ability to keep going in the midst of a difficult time in your life. And when you hear that, you start to realize, you know what? That actually is true. When you lift weights, you're actually creating small tears in your muscles that when they're repaired, they come back bigger and stronger. When you run, you're increasing your heart rate and you're increasing the amount of breaths you take and you don't last very long that first time. But the next time you run, your heart rate's a bit lower, your breathing's a bit slower, and you can run a bit longer. Think of a butterfly in a cocoon. If you were to open up that cocoon without letting the butterfly... uh, properly grow. You sentence it to death quickly because it's not strong enough to fly. But as it busts, it works and works and works to bust out of that cocoon. It gets strong enough to actually fly once it comes out. Testing trials actually produce perseverance in our lives. They produce staying power. It allows us to endure. And the more that you do endure a trial in your life, that steadfastness ends up producing maturity in you. Once you begin to have built up this endurance and endurance in one area of your life, you'll be able to endure more in other areas of your life. This allows you to become mature or complete in James words or perfect in his words, lacking nothing. He doesn't mean that you're going to be sinless. What he means is that every area of your life is going to be fully rounded and, and fully developed. This is the point. When you face trials, God is doing something. That's what James wants you to realize. When you face trials, God is doing something in you. God is able to see that there's something more important than your comfort. And James is asking you, inviting you to realize that too. There's something more important in life than your comfort. You can consider it joy when you face that trial. Not because that trial is good. Cancer is never good. Loss is never good. But God can bring good out of it. And so when you face that trial, you can say, I'm going to choose to have joy in this moment because I know no matter how hard this gets, God's doing something greater. Maybe something that I can't see. I want to give you guys an illustration of this in in real life. There's a woman named Joni Erickson Tata. 
Joni was a 14-year-old girl who went to a summer camp, a retreat. She was from an athletic family. She went to a retreat, and she came to know the Lord um, that, that day. And a few years later, she began to realize, I'm not living the Christian life I want to live. So she prayed this prayer. She said, God, draw me closer to you. Well, before heading to college that, a few years later, she and her sister went to the beach to have a day of fun and relaxation before, before school began. She climbs onto a raft and then takes a very quick dive into very shallow water. And she hit the bottom head first, snapping her neck back and crushing her fourth cervical vertebrae, and she severed her spinal cord that day. And that would actually be that standing on that raft would be the last time she would ever stand. The doctors told her that she would never walk again, and she would be bound to a wheelchair, and she would essentially lose the loss of her hands. She's a quadriplegic now. In the days and weeks to come, Joni wrestled with that situation as all of us would as well. She said, is this how you answer my prayer, God, to draw me closer to you? Is this what you meant when you said in Jeremiah 29 that you have plans to prosper me and not to harm me? So with all these doubts surrounding her, with all these doubts surrounding her, also Christian brothers and sisters surrounded her too in that moment to speak life to her and love to her. And she said one particular conversation stood out among all the others that changed her perspective on her situation. She said, sometime, she said one, one brother came to her and talked to her about the things that were going on in her life. And he said, sometimes God permits what he hates in order to accomplish what he loves. Sometimes God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loved. And that truth sunk deep down into her heart. It didn't change her overnight, but it was a growing process that went through her life. And then years, after 56 years to be exact, of sitting in a wheelchair, and after becoming a world-renowned speaker and writer and author, and after starting a ministry called Wheels for the World that takes wheelchairs to some of the hardest places in the world uh, to get uh, for, for dis- disabled people, after all that, she says, I now understand what God loves in my life. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory. And without my wheelchair, it wouldn't have been possible. She looked at her life and saw that trial that she faced and realized it drove her closer to the Lord, not farther from him. Now, how do we apply that to our lives? We're all gonna, we're sitting in here and each of us are facing a trial. Now, I don't think it's beneficial to, beneficial to compare your trial to Joni's. Um, don't compare your trial to hers. Just be inspired by hers. What that means is in your trial, whatever difficulty you're facing, that is your trial. That is your trial. And as you do, maybe try to start to have that perspective of what is God doing in the midst of this trial? How is God building up perseverance in me that's going to result in my maturity? And I think what God means by maturity there is obviously personal for you that you would be a well-rounded, more like Christ. But I think also that you'd be able to be mature for other people, that you'd be able to speak life into other people's life. The sufferings that you go through, the trials you go through may be preparing you to minister to somebody later in life. So as you think about your trials, think, how is this, how is God doing something through this? Now, the point we've made so far is that when we face trials, we are going to face those. And James is going to give us a few more tools as we think about how we can navigate through the trials that we do face. 
And the first tool he's going to give us is wisdom. So number two, so number one was, number one was, I got lots of notes here. Trials result in perseverance and maturity. The second point is this. Trials require heavenly resources. Trials require heavenly resources. The next thing James talks about after speaking of trials is wisdom. And he says, if you lack wisdom, ask for it. Ask for wisdom. He then in verse 9 speaks about riches. So I think James is giving us two options of how we can handle trials. We can either trust in heavenly resources or earthly resources. We can trust man's wisdom or, or we can trust God's wisdom or man's resources. And James encourages us to choose that wisdom. What is wisdom? It's not knowing exactly how everything works. J.I. Packer, one of my favorite writers, he talks about wisdom this way. Some people mistake wisdom for having all the answers. Meaning when you go to a train station and there's this, there's this box up at the top that controls everything. Some people think wisdom is getting access to that box and seeing how everything works and knowing exactly why and when and how. But really what wisdom is, is not knowing the answer for everything. It's knowing what the next step is and what God would have you do. And that's the kind of wisdom we need to seek. We don't need to seek, as James says here, earthly riches. We need to reject those. Some people think that if I had more money, this trial wouldn't happen. But the great theologian, Puff Daddy, says this in his song, Mo Money, Mo Problems. The more money we see, the more, or the more money we come across, the more problems we see. I think that's very true. Because money is not the answer. It's an earthly means to an earthly goal. But you need to ask for a godly goal in your life. A godly means. And that is God's wisdom. How many of you who have kids have ever walked in on them doing something that they needed your help doing but they did not ask you for it. Whether that's pouring a cup of milk, getting something down from the cabinet, whatever that might be, you see them doing that and they've made a big mess. And what do you say? Why didn't you ask me for help? I was in the next room right next to you. You could have asked me for help. But in that moment, they chose not to ask you for help. I think God feels the same way a lot of times when we go through difficulties and struggles in our life, we decide to go through them on our own. We think I can handle this. We don't ask God for that wisdom to go through that trial. When we think about our kids, why didn't they ask us for that help? Maybe it's because they thought they could depend on themselves. Maybe they didn't think that you had the ability to help them. Or maybe they didn't think you would even be willing to help them. How many times in our lives do we, our kids come to us for help and we say, just not right now, buddy. I I just got to do this other thing. Just Stop, okay? Just leave me alone. I do that a lot to my kids. The good thing is God's not like that. But we treat him like he is, right? We think, I'm going to ask God to help me through this because he's not going to want to anyways. But notice what he says. If anyone lacks wisdom, verse 5, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. That means if you go to God and ask for wisdom, he's never going to say to you, why are you asking me? Leave me alone. I don't have time for that. He's never going to do it. He's going to give it generously. So when you do need wisdom, when you do face a trial, go to God for heavenly resources and don't trust your earthly resources that are going to pass away as verses 9 through 11 say. So that's why in verse 9, a lowly brother can boast in his exaltation because he's been forced to trust in God. And the rich brother should boast in his humiliation when he realizes that 
These riches are not going to do anything for me. So trials require heavenly resources. Third, trials result in heavenly reward. Verse 12 says this, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Sometimes we go through stuff in our lives and we choose to keep it hidden. I know that a lot of the, the, the male persuasion in the room probably does that a little bit more than the female persuasion of the room, but it's true. Sometimes we go through trials and we don't tell anybody about them, right? We keep them hidden and we don't let people see them um, for whatever reason that might be. Or maybe even you're thinking, man, I, I've done, maybe at your job or your work, you do, you do a difficult thing at work and you feel like, man, my boss didn't even see that. I did such a good job. I, I did something at work that nobody else got to see. The good thing about trials in our lives is God is never unaware of your trials. He always sees those trials that you go through. He's completely aware of what it's like to go through that trial that you're going through. And not only does he see it, he promises to reward us. Those who endure to the end will receive eternal life, this crown of life that's promised to us. So when we go through those difficult, difficult times in life, don't think no one sees this, no one understands, no one gets it. God does. He sees it, he knows it, he gets it, and he will reward it with a heavenly reward. Finally, number four, trials require trust in the unchanging character of God. Trials require trust in the unchanging character of God. Look at verse, um, what verse am I pointing you to? Verse, verse 16, it says this, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. The reason James says that is because in the midst of trials, we can start to be deceived. In the midst of trials, we can be deceived. We can start to think, wrongly about God. We can start to see him in an improper light. Trials can, can blur our vision to, to where we don't see God clearly. He's fuzzy. And we might start to think things about God that are not true. And notice what he tells us in verse 13. He said, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. Because he says, God can't be tempted. We might think as we go through trials, man, why is God tempting me with this? Why is God putting me through this um, to tempt me? We need to be sure and understand our trials are not a temptation from God. It's clear. Our trials are not a temptation from God. Sure, trials can lead us to temptation, but where do, that, where do those temptations come from in the midst of that? Well, James tells us it comes from within us. When we go through a trial and we sin in the midst of it, and we're tempted, that's because of our own heart. Verse 14 says, Each person is tempted when he's lured away and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when fully grown, gives forth death. When we sin in the midst of trial, it's not because God has given us that trial. It's because our own heart was not ready and prepared in that way. So God never tempts us in trials. But God's always good in the midst of those trials. Notice what James talks about in this, in this, in this uh, last part of this section is every good gift comes from God, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. What that means is God doesn't change. 
At every moment, he feels the same towards you as he always has. He never changes. You don't have to think, I don't know if God's going to be nice today. We, we've had people in our lives where you talk to them and you're like, I don't know if I'm getting nice Tim or grumpy Tim today. I don't know if I'm getting um, the kind version of my spouse or the mean version of my spouse. I don't, I don't know what to expect from them today. You don't have to do that with God because he does not change. Every time you go to him, he is the same. There's never any shadow or variation due to change. He's always the same. And you can trust his unchanging character. What that means is when life is perfect and you get the job you were praying for and you feel really good and you get that raise and you whatever that is, when life is perfect, God's the same then as he he is when life stinks and you lose that thing or maybe you lose that person or that, that diagnosis does come. He's the same in both of those situations. And really, if we want the best example of this, we look to Jesus, our Savior, right? We look to Jesus, our Savior. Jesus, as he was praying in the garden, he was about to face the greatest trial that anybody had ever faced. And he was the least deserving of that trial. If we think in our lives, man, I don't deserve this trial. Jesus, has, Jesus can say that more than any of us. He was about to be betrayed by his brothers and judged by mere mortals and hanged on a cross to die at the hands of soldiers. Even more than that, he was about to have the guilt of the world laid on his shoulders. Your guilt for your sin was put on him. And when he saw this trial, he didn't like the trial. What did he pray? He prayed, God, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. Jesus didn't see the cross as something fun. He wasn't crazy in denial. He wasn't some kind of sicko that just wanted the pain. No, he didn't want it. And he prayed, God, take it from me. But he trusted God knowing that his plan would be far better. And he said to God the Father, yet not my will, but yours. This is why the writer of Hebrews writes about Jesus, uh, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne. It says that he saw the cross and he despised the shame because he knew that there was a joy set before him. What is that joy that was set before Christ? pleasing his father and saving the world. That's the, that's the good that was set before him. Sometimes God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. And God allowed the only perfect person to suffer death on a cross so that he could accomplish what he loved in saving you. So may we be people who do the same as Jesus. May you see the trial that's set before you by a sovereign and loving God and realize that although this trial in and of itself stinks, it's horrible, God can do something even greater through it. He's allowing that in your life to bring about what he loves. So let's be like Jesus and embrace the trials that God brings into our life. Not because we enjoy those trials, but because we can have joy in the midst of those trials and know that God's doing something in our life. Let's hear from Joni Erickson Tata one more time. 
She wrote uh, a little book. It's about hope. And this is a section from it. She says this. I sure hope I can bring this wheelchair to heaven. Now, I know that's not theologically correct, but I hope to bring it and put it in a little corner in heaven. And then in my new, perfect, glorified body, standing on grateful, glorified legs, I'll stand next to my Savior holding his nail-pierced hands. I'll say, thank you, Jesus. And he will know what I mean because he knows me. He'll recognize me from the fellowship that we're sharing now in his sufferings. And I'm going to say, Jesus, do you see that wheelchair? You were right when you said in this world we would have trouble. Because that thing was a lot of trouble. But the weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. I never would have, it never would have happened had you not given me the bruising of the blessing of that wheelchair. May we be people who are like Joni and embrace our trials knowing that God is pulling us closer to us in the midst of that. So we close today and we sing in, in a moment. I know that you guys have trials because you're human. I know that there are trials in your life. And I want to invite you as we, as we respond this morning to take those, all, uh, take those trials to the Lord and embrace them. That might look like, I want to invite you. I, don't, I normally don't like encourage this just for whatever reason. But these altars are open this morning. And this portion of carpet right here is no more holy than the portion of carpet that you're standing on right now. But sometimes it's good to do a physical thing just for your, for your own soul to say, I'm going down to the altar. I'm laying down this trial to the Lord, just giving it to him. I'm not going to try to use my own resources to handle it anymore. I'm going to trust him and let him have it and know he's going to do something greater in the midst of it. Maybe you want to do that this morning. Maybe you want to come down and just physically make a gesture to the, to the Lord to say, I'm giving this trial to you. Maybe that's you this morning. So as we sing this song about God's faithfulness, we're going to sing great is thy faithfulness just because it echoes the great truth that comes from the end of that passage that he's never changing. Uh, Maybe in that moment you can offer that trial to the Lord and ask him to help you embrace it knowing that he's going to take care of it and do something great in your life. Let's pray.